0: sales i'm a lecturer in mental health at sheffield Hallam, and i'm doing this as part of my master's dissertation so i'm gonna talk to you about the proposal today so a lot has already changed even yeah before presenting this today so i'm really really open to the wisdom in the room and some feedback from everybody um in fact i'd really appreciate that um so yeah i'm looking at what are the mental health experiences associated with transitioning to motherhood for non-birth mothers in the perinatal period? That question already has evolved from looking at the literature out there, um, and I'm sure it, it will evolve even further before I get to kind of conducting this research. So a little bit about the introduction and, and background then and, and why I think that this is important. So the NHS long-term plan has committed to supporting the mental health of mothers and partners and similarly the um, National Maternity Review recognises the importance of perinatal mental health for all. But there's this kind of this assumption that all mothers have carried and been pregnant and birthed their children and we know that that is not the case. So we know from the evidence as well that perinatal mental health affects around 20% of women, but it's still not clear from the evidence um, the impacts on non-birth mothers. So from this, perinatal mental health services are developing a partner pathway. Now the the research is already well underway into this, um, but it's particularly around fathers, partners and biological mothers. So there's still the gap there on the needs of uh, non-birth mothers in the perinatal period. As well, the evidence tells us that postnatal depression is cited quite a lot as increasing for lesbian mothers, but again, there's there's a gap for non-birth mothers. And I think there's still this kind of um, heteronormative approach to family composition, as well as um, the idea that the heterosexual cis family is still Um, yeah, the norm when when we know that from what non-birth mothers are saying that that is not the case. And as well, the benefits to partners being involved in their children's life and being active role models in their children's life has many benefits for the child as well. So increased resilience, um, increased behaviour and emotional resilience and things like that. So some of the themes that I've found from the current literature out there around non-birth mothers at the moment is that they feel invisible. um, When they've accessed services, services probably don't know a lot about their needs uh, from the evidence that's already out there, so they do report feeling invisible and not having their needs met currently. They also feel that a lot of the time they don't know anybody else in the same situation as them, so they perhaps don't know anybody else who is going through the same... um, issues that they go through and and challenges in terms of conception. It's felt from non-birth mothers that the diversity of family forms is not really recognized within the literature and um, in health services at at present. And that they feel that the perinatal period starts much earlier for them because there are more challenges for them around conception um, and conceiving a child. There's sometimes an assumption um, from, well, a belief from the non-birth mothers that the child might be more attached to their biological mother, Um, and a lot of the times legitimacy is questioned, whether that be the non-birth mother questioning that themselves, a lot of the time legitimacy can come into question, especially from grandparents who perhaps won't see the child as much because they don't believe it's their real grandchild and they don't believe that the non-birth mother is the real parent. So there's a lot of kind of self-stigma and active stigma around that as well that we're finding from the family from the literature. As well, some difficulty in establishing roles um, with non-birth mothers because there are two mothers and Hi. <laughs> that's all right. Um, Because there are two mothers, they're not the sole mother in in that family, so there can be some difficulty and challenges around that, as well as some social legal recognition issues that they're being faced with as well. So some of the gaps that I found in the literature then were that there's a lack of literature overall um, in relation to the perinatal mental health period for non-birth mothers. That mental health and well-being is is not really addressed in these groups there is some suggestion in the literature that non-birth mothers may also experience the baby blues but it's very under-researched so i feel it needs more investigation in that area and generally overall the mental health needs of of non-birth mothers in that perinatal period is still quite unknown which brings me to the research questions then which is evolved as I've read the literature really so initially it was what are the experiences of transitioning to motherhood for non-birth mothers but we kind of already know that from the literature that's out there I feel what is missing is is their mental health experiences so it's, it's now evolved to what are the mental health experiences associated with transitioning to motherhood for non-birth mothers in the perinatal period I think it's probably obvious, given that we're at a qualitative conference, that it's going to be a qualitative approach that I'm using, as well as a phenomenological approach. um, Because I really want to find out what people's experiences are in this period. Um, Yeah, and I'm more interested in in kind of the human experience from from my viewpoint as well. I intend to conduct one-to-one semi-structured interviews. Initially, I thought about focus groups, but I feel that, given the potential for the emotive content, um, anybody that's got children knows that it's completely life-changing. It turns your world upside down. So um, I want to be able to create the space for people to have that one-to-one discussion with me, given that it it might be quite emotive, the content. I then intend to use thematic analysis um, to look at the data. I've thought about perhaps sending the themes and the data to the participants once it's been analyzed just to try and see if those themes are reflective of their experiences but i'm not sure given my (laughs) knowledge and this being my first ever piece of research whether that's just going a little bit too far so i'd welcome yeah some some feedback on that as well so i have (laughs) some some information on about who I'm going to include and, and who I'm, what I'm going to exclude. So the participants are going to be recruited members of the public and, part, and recruited on the basis that they are a, a non-birth mother to a child or children younger than 18 years. I felt the need to have th- that it's a planned pregnancy. So using assisted reproductive technology. So whether that be IVF or insemination I thought that they could respond to either a social media post or poster, but given that I don't use social media and I don't want to open myself up to trolling, really, I'm I'm still undecided on that uh, for my own mental health, really. But I thought about if I wasn't going to use social media, perhaps I could um, approach perinatal mental health services and see if they have any support groups and kind of recruit that way. Obviously, my researcher contact details will be provided whichever uh, platform I choose to recruit. And some of the exclusions, so I w- I was, I'm going to exclude non-birth mothers who, are, who have become mothers through adoption, fostering or step-parenting. And that's not because I don't think that that's really important, it is. We need to know the information around that as well. It is purely because this is the first piece of research that I'm ever going to have undertaken. I want to try and narrow it down for, f- yeah, for my purposes as well as um, other purposes. But that's not to say that I won't go further with this. Uh, you know, once I've done this research and then investigate that even more. Similarly, I wanted to exclude people if English is not their first or second language, and that again, that's not to do with you know the lack of importance around that. It's just that I'm a sole researcher and I don't have any funding, so I literally can't afford an interpreter. So I don't have a budget for it. Again, it's you know not to say that that's something that I won't ex- explore in the future. So I thought about conducting face-to-face interviews, either in person or via Zoom. And I wanted to give the option of both, really, because I feel that recruitment could kind of reach f- further afield so you know giving people more of an option to be able to attend those those interviews i think as well in terms of covid i know it's you know people probably aren't as concerned about it anymore but the options there as well if they are, re- there are still concerns around meeting face to face i'd record on electronic device but i guess the the yeah the beauty of zoom is that it would go straight to the cloud and, and be recorded that way yeah, I'd transcribe the interviews and I have the option of using private rooms at Sheffield Hallam University to conduct the interviews. Or I thought about even maybe, you know, using a space off campus that's more neutral really. I think it can feel sometimes a little bit intimidating perhaps to come into a university. In terms of ethics, so the normal ethical principles will apply to this. Um As I said earlier, I I thought about maybe sending the data to the participants following analysis but I I don't know if that's too, too big really for my first ever piece of research. And as I've said previously, it's acknowledged in this research that the interview content may be quite emotive so that I think that a project safety plan is going to be of high importance um, to this project. I really want to allow the time after the one-to-one interviews for debriefing between myself and the participant, and that doesn't have to be anything too formal, you know, it can be having a coffee and a chat afterwards, but really so that those participants can give any feedback and ask any questions about the process. And I think as well it's really important um, regardless of the participants' objective emotional state after the one-to-one interviews that I give some information on where they can get support from. So I'll do a leaflet with um, some supportive organisations that they can contact if they need to following the one-to-one interviews. So that's the story so far. (laughs) you uh-huh.